Come on, let's give him praise. Well, church, I'm so glad that you are, are carving out some time uh, to gather together around God's word. Uh, you've heard it already this morning. I, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of it. And if you're not aware of it, uh, you're perfectly fine. But we are beginning uh, the Advent season. Uh, the, our lives often are moved and directed by a civic calendar, if you will. Like we know the federal holidays that give us uh, dates and times off. Can I, can I get an amen for that? We know when the days off are coming and we know uh, kind of how we move basically in our culture. But for some of you that, that aren't aware of this, that the church, the church at large, the global church in the world um, has a calendar. And I don't know about you, but I, I want my life to be more directed and guided by the church calendar than I do the civic calendar. I want my life to be, be moved by the things that, that God is, is moved by. And so the beginning of that church calendar, uh, it, it begins with Advent. And Advent begins today. And this is the time of, of sort of preparation, of waiting, of, of longing that, that happens on the way um, to Christmas. You see, what we do in our, our culture, and this is not a, uh, it's not, a, it's not a sin that we do this, but I do think that it does, uh, it costs us something. When we rush right to Christmas, we rush right to talking about baby in a manger, and, and we, we get excited for that, as we should. But for us, I think there's this beautiful rhythm that the church calendar offers us uh, that I want us to embrace and I want us to rest in. And so for some of you, Advent is something that you are very familiar with, and you talk about it uh, often, and you, you grew up maybe with it. And, and for those of you that, that you're not, listen, it's perfectly fine. Uh, we're going to walk through that. We're going to kind of give us a sense of understanding around it. Uh, and I pray that it would, it would enrich uh, this holiday season for you. I pray that it would, would give you maybe eyes to see a fresh and a new way uh, of what God is doing. And so if you have your Bibles, would you come with me to Isaiah uh, chapter number 64? Isaiah chapter number 64. You ready for God's word? Yeah. Isaiah uh, chapter 64. And here's how the, the Bible reads. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You, you meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. And behold, you are angry and we sinned. And in our sins, we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We have all become like the one who is unclean and all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to hold you. For you have hidden your face from us, and you have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our Father, and we are the clay, and you are the potter. We are the work. Of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are your people. Let's bow our heads and our hearts for prayer. Father, we love you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. It is indeed 
a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And so God, I pray as we gather around your word, as we consider your word today, might the same Holy Spirit that breathed it into existence be the same Holy Spirit that hovers in this room and the same Holy Spirit who quickens both mind and heart in each person in this room. That when we leave here, we are certain that the Spirit of God has spoken to us. And Lord, I pray that if you'll be faithful to do that, we'll be faithful to respond. We're grateful, God, that even when we open ourselves up to you, the best that we know how, it falls short. But you, God, are faithful. You, God, are gracious to where you make up the difference. So Lord, do that. Where our intellect ends, where our ability to comprehend ends, where our faith even runs out, God, would you make up the difference in all of those places? And we will be quick to give you the glory and the praise forevermore. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Advent is a time for us to prepare to meet God. There is this tension. There is this waiting. There is this longing. And what we do is we consider and we think about all of the ways in which this longing has been a part of the, the story of God's people throughout time. And when you go to the scriptures, you see that God's people are longing and waiting. I could take you to the book of Exodus and you see where God's people are enslaved for over 400 years and they long to be delivered and they long for a rescuer. For us, when we think about Advent, this season of waiting for Messiah to come, we see that God's people have been waiting for him to come and arrive in many different seasons, whether it's a, the exodus, whether it's an exile, whether it's longing and waiting for a Messiah, we yearn and we long for God to break through just as they were then for the first coming of Christ, we long and are waiting for God to break in and break through even now. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Our eyes are open to the injustices around us. We see things. We hear rumors of wars. We're watching wars unfold. And we are longing for God to break in once again and redeem us and to save us and to rescue us. Waiting is often filled, friends, with both terror and wonder. For us, that waiting season is not something that always excites us. We love the coziness and the conversations around Christmas. I think this is why we jump into it. We love the feeling of warm fire. We love the, the stories and we love all that Christmas means to us. But what happens is we miss the fact that what truly season that we actually are in is a season of waiting. We're a season where we're hoping and longing for God. Advent calls us to stay awake. Think about this, friends. If you were to erase Christmas from the scriptures, not suggesting that we do, but if you were, you would only be taking out a few, a few chapters of the scripture. The doctrine of the incarnation is not even necessarily dependent only upon those texts. Paul talks about the incarnation in other places in the New Testament. So if you were to take away just the Christmas passages, here's what I want you to know. It wouldn't take away so much of our biblical narrative, but if you were to take away Advent, you lose half of the Old Testament. You lose most of the new. 
Why? Because God's people have been longing and waiting generation after generation. And us in this season, here's the invitation for us, is to step into this time of waiting, into this time of longing, into this time of yearning, and constraining ourselves, not allowing us to step out of the experience that God has called us into, but to allow ourselves to be immersed, allow ourselves to consider and to think and to, to find ourselves in these places. This isn't an easy skill. It's not easy for us to wait. It's not, it's not come on, we don't like waiting. Come on, what does Jay-Z say? He says, I got no patience and I hate waiting. Y'all knew I would just sneak on in there at some point. I got no patience and I hate waiting. All of us, we don't like to wait. There are now apps on your phone. If you're headed to the airport, you can check the waiting times for different queue lines that you'll be getting in and you can find out whether or not you want to wait. When we go to restaurants and you check in with the hostess, do some of you in this room, are you like me where you've got a time that if it is exceeding that time, you're out? Come on, not playing games. If I look at you and in your eyeball, you tell me 25 minutes, I go, peace. Let me tell you a funny story. Week after week, we would wrap up here and we're going to leave and this is, this is probably about three or four times in a row this happened. Uh, up at the Springfield Mall, there, there's a restaurant there uh, called Yard House. And Yard House has uh, maybe one of my favorite uh, appetizers uh, ever. And, and don't get excited. Here's the appetizer. It is spicy edamame. It's not fancy. It's like just some edamame that they popped into the microwave and warmed up. And they just put a little sort of garlic and spicy sauce thing on it. It is fantastic. Mouth-watering. I love it. Not going there for the yard of beer. Some of y'all are wondering. Set y'all straight. <laughs> Go in there to, to, to have a look. Now listen to me. We've, we've gone after church. We've done this. We've been in the parking lot. We give a phone call. Hey, do you guys have seats? How's it looking? And this is time after time. This happened to us about four times in a row. There's no wait. And I'm like, kids, get in the car. We are going to Yard House. Everybody's excited, mouth watering. Everybody thinking about the menu. We know what we're getting. Dad, are we getting edamame? You know we are. And we're We're ready. We're ready. We get out, we park, we walk in, and in the time that we left this parking lot to the time that we got there, everybody in the DMV <laughs> descended upon Yard House. We look at how, how long is the wait? 45 minutes. The devil is a liar. We're going to Chewy's. <laughs> Chewy's is right next door. Listen to me, friends. This happened four times in a row. The last time we pulled in, and I was like, hey guys, we're going to Yard House. Declan in the back of the car goes, you mean we're going to Chewy's? Because <laughs> the kids know, dad's not trying to wait. I'm not trying to wait for lunch. I'm not trying to wait. I want to get there quickly. Every man, maybe some women in here too, I can't speak for y'all, don't fully understand you. Been living with a woman for a long time, still not quite sure about it. But let me speak for the men here. If we get in the car and we're on a trip, do you know what we do? We put it in the GPS and we see the amount of time that this trip is supposed to take us. Beat the GPS, somebody said it. It is a game, it is a race. Every car on the highway, unbeknownst to them, they've entered into a race as well. That is how we're wired. We don't like to wait, we don't want to wait. Why? Because for us, waiting feels like a waste, doesn't it? 
it feels like it's useless. It feels like it's pointless because we've lost this idea of pilgrimage. We've lost this idea of understanding that God's not just working at the bookends, but God's working in and among us along the journey, whether it is a difficult season or whether it is a season where you're flourishing. So friends, listen to me. When I talk about entering into this season of Advent, listen, it's not an easy thing to do. Some of you right now are in that sort of pocket in your life right now where you're waiting. You're waiting on an answer. You're waiting on a, on a response. You're waiting for certain doors to open. You've been praying and believing and you're just, you're exhausted from the waiting. And this is a season that is to provide you not just with encouragement that gets you out of it, but it provides you with a sense of rootedness and a sense where we can now understand, oh no, no, the waiting is actually part of the way in which God works in and through us. So friends, today I want to offer us, sort of as we're shaping our prayers and as we're considering this time, I've got sort of five things I want to offer us to, to shape our prayers, to give us some direction in this time. And as we get to that, there are, there are two words that we see in the text that's used in the Old Testament for waiting. And I love the way in which they frame, and I, and I love their definitions. One, it is a, a hope that is based on God. This idea of, of waiting and hope, they are, they're intertwined. So these words for hope, these words for hope, one means the sense of I'm waiting on God. My hope is in God. It it's also has this underlying principle of enduring. And that, that hope causes me and, and brings me into a place of enduring. There's another one that, that I like, and if I'm honest... Whenever I think about waiting seasons of my life, the in-between, the, the I'm not there yet. I know where we're headed and where we're supposed to go, but there's this sort of like tension about it. It's that idea of, of a rope that's been pulled very, very tight, that there is a tension even sometimes in waiting. As I was reading it and pushed back a little bit further, sort of, sort of into some of that, I came across a word and a principle that some of you that as you grew up in maybe in other church environments, uh, th this word will mean something to you. The idea of awaiting and the idea of hope, these things connected, it also brings us to a place, an invitation to tarry. An inv invitation to tarry, to wait on God. But the waiting on God is not us just sitting back and relaxing, waiting for someone to come and do something. But this waiting on God means that I'm active. It means that I'm participating. It means that I'm not waiting for this season to get over before I start beseeching the Lord and before I start having, having uh, an audience with him. But I lean in now. It's clear to us and it's important for us to understand that hope, as we talk about hope in this sort of our, our, our cultural moment, Hope oftentimes is, is used synonymous with the word optimism. And, and optimism is for us when we're sort of playing the percentages. We all do this. We think about something, and if we're, if we're going to get our hopes up, what, what is this? Is this likely to happen? That, that's what we do. We, we think about probabilities. We took these classes sort of growing up, and now we've laid this over into our life. We're assessing things. Is it more likely than not to take place? And, and that's how we're judging whether or not we're going to have hope. So hope is just optimism. Hope in our, in our cultural society is just a sense of, do I have a good feeling? Hope, biblically, has nothing to do with optimism. Oftentimes, in the biblical narrative, those that had the greatest measure, if you will, of hope were those that were in the most dire of circumstances with no promise that it was going to end anytime soon. That's the hope that God desires us to live with, not some sort of fake, fantastical optimism. 
God wants you to be able to look at your situation full view and go, I have no idea how this is going to turn out. But God. But God is not leaving. But God is not running out. Altogether different that God is going to break through and that God is going to set things right because this is what God does. Hope in God is often best understood not as potential, but as seen in the past faithfulness of our God. Let me read you a quote from a a friend of mine named Henry. We haven't gotten ever to, to meet because he's dead, but I consider him a friend. And Henry says this, he says, hope is not optimism. And I pray that we will all be able to live hopefully in the midst of our apocalyptic time. He says, we have a promise and God is faithful to his promise even when we are doubtful and fearful. As Paul says, our hope is not deceptive because the Holy Spirit has already been poured into us. Can can I encourage you with this? Our lack of faith, our doubting God's nearness, God's presence, God's ability does not affect who God is. God does not move in and among our lives because we have a rightly oriented understanding of who he is. God is faithful to his promise in spite of our faithlessness. I don't know about you, but I am grateful that God is faithful when I'm not. I'm grateful that God is firm When I am shaky, I am grateful that God has it all together when it feels like everything is coming apart in my life. And so as we wait, while we wait, the first thing is this. May we see your hand working among us. The very first line in in this passage of scripture that we read, oh heaven, oh that you would rend the heavens and come down. What the Israelites, what the people of God are crying and lamenting is simply this. They're saying, God, will you do the thing now that you did before? God, will you, will you shake the grounds of Mount Sinai? Will you speak from heaven? Will you deliver your word to us? You see, for them, it's been a long time since they had seen some of these things. Been a long time since they had seen God move mightily and in power. And what they're asking him to is, would you rend the heavens? Would you come down? As we're waiting, this is a prayer for us to pray. This is a prayer for us to say, God, we want to see your hand working among us. And let's just be honest, sometimes the transcendence of God proves to be problematic for us to be able to perceive and see and know what God is doing. In other words, I'll say it like this. Sometimes we can't see what God's really doing because our eyes don't have the ability to get dialed into that world just yet. You ever have moments where you just wondered, God, are you even here? Are you even hearing me? I know you're far more spiritual than I am, but there's sometimes that I'm praying and at the end of my prayer, I'm like, hey, you listening? If so, say something. Talk to me. Like, there's moments where you, you get into these spaces and you just go, God, do you hear me? Are these prayers getting out of the room? The Israelites say, God, do again what you had done before. Now, now listen, that's a, that's a beautiful, it's very poetic the way that they phrase it. But I hope as you, as you read through the text, you also can see that there's a, there's a bit of an ache there. You realize how long it had been since the book of 
of Exodus? How long it had been since the time of God's deliverance? When you talk about the activity of God in your life, how far past tense do you have to go? How long do you have to go in your past to to mark out a time where God moved and had been faithful in your life? Listen to me, if, if it feels like the distance is growing more and more and more, friend, can I just invite you? Go headlong into who, who God is. Don't let the waiting push you away, but in the waiting, let it be a time and a place where we can see God's hand working among us. We're looking for it. The past is a prerequisite of what God will do in the present and in the future. The second thing is this. May we make the name of God known. May we make the name of God known. When I, when I look at this passage, verse 4 feels like a doxology. He says, from old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No, I has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait, who wait for him. So here Israel is accepting responsibility. Here they're acknowledging God. He's available to those who are living and doing right. Many of us want God to do things in our life. We just won't live our life God's way. And I just want to help some of you here that have been frustrated that God is not responding to you. Perhaps you are asking God to act outside of his way. And maybe what needs to happen in this season of waiting, it's a beautiful time for us to assess. It's a beautiful time for us to get a sense of God. Am I waiting on you and in the position and place you desire me to be? There's three areas that we want to make God's name known. And one, I think it's in our lives. In our lives personally. Listen, it's easy for us to look around and see the ways in which we wish God would come and give these broad sort of strokes, do these dramatic activities, step in this way. And I just want to offer this to you, friends. The first place that we should see, whether it's revival, renewal, the first place that we should be quickened for is our own life. So as you're waiting, as we're in this season, what will it look like for you in this Advent season of waiting on God? What will it look like for you personally to see God move and make the name of God known in your life. What does that look like? What does it look like in your families, in your relationships for you to make God known? And then beyond that, what does it look like in your generation right here, right now? What does it look like for us to stand, to wait, and to declare the goodness of God in our generation? The third thing, how I want us to frame our prayer is that may our lives be marked with confession and repentance. May our lives be marked with confession and repentance. I'll say it this way. Don't let your salvation keep you from confession and repentance. Don't let just the sense of, no, no, I, I, I'm saved. I, I believe in God. I'm living this out. Great. That doesn't mean that our life is not supposed to still be marked with confession. You want to know one of the best ways to make your relationships flourish? Learn this word. I'm sorry. And I'm not just talking about your marriage. I'm talking about every relationship in your life. Think about. I say this in our house a lot. I'm trying to get this into our, our kids. I was trying to get this into Nicole's life, but that'll be a, that's another story. It's another story, guys. Not going to go there. Sorries are free. Apologies are free. Just give them out. You don't have to pay any money to apologize. Just give them out. 
Be quick. Be quick to apologize. Now listen, now we're not talking about avoidance. Come on, we're, we're mature enough in here. We're talking about a sense of some of us are geared more to fight than we are to make peace. And we just need to know that about ourselves. Some of you in this room, you're like me, where you wake up and there's just some days you just want to fight somebody. <laughs> not physically, but maybe just with your words and with your attitudes. The other day I had one of those days. I was just feeling a little bit angsty. And I thought to myself, I'm fighting somebody. One of these kids is getting in trouble. <laughs> Hadn't decided who, but I'm like, one of them. I was like, let somebody come in. Except Haley. Haley, she gets a pass. So it was down to the boys. One of the boys are getting in trouble. Just, I just was, fe I was feeling that. I, I, just, I just want us to be marked with confession and repentance. Meaning this, that we are clear in the ways in which we're stepping out of bounds. And we come quickly to the Lord. I can hear my mom praying this when I was a kid. She would say, she would say Holy Spirit. She said, prick his heart and prick it quickly. quickly. Whenever he steps outside, quick his heart. Like, be quick in his spirit. Where you, would, where you would feel it. And then you would hear the voice of the spirit saying, no, no, this is the way. Walk ye in it. That's not it. Go this way. You see, some of us, it's not that God's not speaking to you. It's that we've become so, um, so numb to that voice. When you ignore the voice of God for so long, it gets turned down in your life. When you start paying attention to it, it actually begins to elevate. And so we think about this, man, when we want to have be people that are marked with confession and repentance, we've got to know what God's word says. We've got to know, am I in, am I in bounds? And when I'm not, as the Holy Spirit brings this to my attention, I'm going to lay this at the foot of the cross. We don't got to wait for Sunday. Like some of us, if you get into these rhythms, you're going out throughout your week and I'm like, man, I hope he doesn't alter call on Sunday because I need it. I hope he's not pressed for time and forgets. Because then I got I to go to the next week. No, no, no. Confession and repentance should be part of your daily life. And listen to me, I'm finding that the longer I'm serving Jesus, the more confession and repentance is not a daily activity. It is a hourly activity. You become more aware of how your motivations and your inclinations, that they're not in line with God. The closer you get, the deeper you move into his presence, the more you realize, oh, I'm nothing like you. I'm nothing like you. At a far distance, we think we're more like him than we actually are. I got this. And the reality is no, no, no. Confession and repentance. And listen to me. Don't just make this a practice what we do heavenward. But confession and repentance needs to be a part of our relationships here. It's one of the beauties of the body of Christ. Do you know how powerful it is for, for, to, to confess and repent to someone? Hey, I did this. I was wrong. I was out of bounds. Do you know the power to hear someone else say to you, hey, listen, let me remind you of what the word of God says. That your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. I receive, I receive your apology. I receive it. But also now I want you to receive the forgiveness that doesn't just come from me. I forgive you, sure. But also be reminded of the forgiveness that comes and God, do you see how, how, how strengthening that can be in our relationships? Listen to me, husbands and wives, that needs to be a part of what you are modeling in your house. Don't just teach your kids how to fight well. Teach them how to make up well. Teach them how to, how to repair. Teach them how to, how to come and submit to one another and go, hey, listen, I was, I was a donkey then and I should not have been like that. I'm so sorry. It was a couple weeks ago I had to do this with Caden. I was working on something. I was getting frustrated. Caden, if you, if you know anything about him, the way that his mind is sort of, he, he, he was, he's been growing up on Legos. He'd been building Legos since he, was, he could form sentences. He builds incredible things. 
His mind is like instructions. Dude, I'm the kind of guy, again, not a shocker to some of you. I'll, if I go get something from like Ikea, I just look at the picture and I go, got it. <laughs> Put the thing together. The cool thing about the way that I do it, I always have these parts left over for another project some other day. <laughs> just make it look like the picture, right? I was working on something. I was trying to get something and, 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 and Caden's like, hey, dad, can I try? I was like, man, boy, if you don't shut up, grown people's business here. And as, I, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was like, oh, this is going to be an apology later. So I went by later and I, I just said, hey, we, we had gotten finished. And I said, hey, man, I, I responded to you in a way that was not appropriate. I was frustrated at this. And when you, when you entered in, here's what I, what I heard and how it made me feel. And that's not at all what you were intending to do. And I just need to apologize to you. I'm, I'm so sorry for that. L- listen to me. That is a moment. Here's what I know that's happening in that moment. He's learning. He's learning how to do this and how to, how to function well. Many of us, can we just be honest? We didn't have people in our lives showing us how to do that stuff. But that stops with us. We're going to model in front of each other as a community of faith, in our, in our houses, in our relationships. We're going to model what it looks like to confess and to repent. Some of you need to get used to this. When you're in environments around and there's like gossip happening. And gossip, listen to me. Here's what the Bible says about gossip. That it feels on the inner parts of us like chocolate. Ooh, it's sweet. Some of you, it's the first thing that you do when you get to work. You're trying to figure out what's going on. What's happening? And listen to me. Here's what some of you need to learn how to do. When that starts happening, you need to learn how to, in that moment, and it's, listen to me, I need to prepare you for this because it's going to feel real weird. It's going to be real weird if someone ever does it to you, and it's going to feel real weird if you ever do it. And here's what happens. Gossip is happening, and it's sizzling like the plate of fajitas at Chili's. And it's just inviting. And you're going to go, hey, guys. Man, I, I don't think this is a conversation, one, that we should be having, and two, this is a conversation that I actually can't be a part of, and you, have to, and you self-select yourself out of it. Man, can I tell you what's going to happen? They're going to gossip about you the moment that you leave. <laughs> Just be ready for it. Be ready for it. But, but again, that's, that's the right thing to do. And here's what I believe. When we do those things, our soul starts to strengthen. We start to be reformed into the image of Jesus. Listen, there are things that we can, we could go on and on about so many areas of our life, the ways in which we should make these adjustments, but let's just go broad stroke. We're going to be people of confession. We're going to be people of repentance. We're going to be, we're going to be postured at the foot of the cross. We're not looking, listen to me, friends. We're not looking to leave the foot of the cross anytime soon. The foot of the cross is where I receive salvation. The foot of the cross is where I receive power. The foot of the cross is where I'm reminded, yes, I can't do it, and I am a wretched, wretched man. But in him, I live and move, and I have my being. Confession and repentance is what we're going to be marked with. The fourth thing is this. May we know the power of yet. If you look at verse 8, in the ESV, it's but now. You might be in another translation. I believe NIV does this. NIV uses that word yet. And I want you to see how everything sort of hinges and everything changes in that moment, in that place. They assess where things have been. They have an assessment of where things are. They're like, man, there ain't nobody following God. There's nobody saved. We're sinful. And then it switches that power of yet. In in the text it says, yet you, O Lord, are our Father. 
and we are the clay, and you are our potter. What a wonderful reminder that God is both father and potter. That God is above, not just ruling and reigning, but caring for his people. That's why the language is there. The language is not God that is distant, but Father who is active, who is protective. So in seasons, friends, while we are hoping and while we are waiting, while we are longing, while we are yearning, both for the return of Christ to come again, but even as we're in between seasons where it doesn't seem like God is on the scene currently, may we respond with this, but now, but now you are our Father You are the potter. In other words, you shape us and you mold us how you see fit. Israel, friends, the people of God have to pray this way. We have to pray this way. Why? Because there's nowhere else to turn. There's no other alternative. I love that reality. There is nowhere to turn but God. There is no one else that's going to come through and going to set it right and make it all all back the way it was intended. Only God. So while we're hoping and while we're waiting, God is there with us. And the final is this. May we stay awake. May we stay awake. Let's look at Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verse 32. It says, but concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but the Father. Be on guard while you're watching, while you're waiting for the return of Christ. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. I love this parable that Jesus tells. He says, it's like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and he puts his servants in charge, each with his work and his commands. That's us. We have been... We have been left in charge. We've been given commands. We've been given assignments and purpose. Each with work and commands. The doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the morning, lest he come suddenly and you find find you asleep. And what I say to you, I will say to all of us, It's the final point for us is may we stay awake. Waiting is not a time for slumber. Waiting is not a time to be disengaged. Waiting and longing and yearning. This is the place in which we say, okay, God, we are ready. Our eyes are fixed on the horizon. When you break through, we are going to capture it and see it with our eyes. Now we find ourselves like the shepherds who are in the field. And as heaven opened up and his angels appeared, pronouncing the good news to them, may we be also waiting, waiting for the trumpets, waiting for the news of Christ's return. You see, the season of Advent, friends, isn't just one where we rush to the manger. The season of Advent is where we understand that we are waiting, not for a babe to come, but we are waiting for our reigning King and Lord. We cry with all of the church, come Lord Jesus, come. Church, would you bow your heads? Would you pray with me today? Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. We thank you, God, that when we are waiting, we are not hopeless, but we are hope-filled. Waiting on you is a posture that we should be 
become comfortable with. Some waiting seasons are long. Some waiting seasons are shorter. We're waiting for you to break in. We're waiting for you to break through. God, might you work on the inside of us as we wait. I pray that we wouldn't rush it. But I pray that we would get all that you have for us out of this season. When the tendency to hurry creeps in, might we wait? Might we hope? And the God who has saved us and rescued us time and time again, we're dependent on that. So may you leave here today and may you respond to the invitation to wait. But might you wait with a heart that is filled with hope. Not searching probabilities, not wondering if you could make it happen, but the type of hope that is rooted from ancient to present and to the future. We're waiting on the God that parts the seas. We're waiting on the God who leads his people by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. This is the God that we're waiting on. And as we wait, might the presence of God surround us, might the peace of God remain in us. Grace and peace, church. We love you so much. We'll see you next week.